Come on, the start of a new year. We're really only nine days into it. And uh, the new year is always a great time to rekindle the passion of uh, God's purposes in your life. It's a good time to rekindle concepts of vision. You know, the world does resolutions. uh, But God's people really have vision. And it's just an opportunity to retweak, rekindle, and uh, get back on track with the things we need to do in order to hit God's uh, goodwill in our life. We were chuckling the other day. I don't know. I think I was visiting with Robert, maybe with Tyler as well. But we were chuckling the other day uh, about how all the fitness centers. You know, if, if, if you go to a fitness center and you were there in December of 2010, it, it was pretty easy to find a treadmill. Or an elliptical machine. I mean, you could go in about any time and you could find it. There's no way. You just, you, just, you just get it like that. But when you get to the start of January and you go to your fitness center, you can't find a treadmill. You can't find an elliptical machine. you got to sign up. And, and, and everybody was sort of chuckling at how the beginning of the year, everybody, you know, usually is working on their, their, their fitness issues and, their, and weight issue because they've made these New Year's resolutions And, um, you know, they were chuckling and all I had to say was just wait 30 days and you'll get your treadmill back again. Because that's really about the length of time for most people. It seems like they can be tenacious and uh, resilient and get through whatever particular uh, resolutions or commitments, uh, you know, they have made. So I, I just started thinking about that and I thought to myself how the treadmill really is an illustration of many people's lives. Um, I'm going to move this up just a little bit because I got all kinds of shadows on there. The treadmill is an illustration of, of many, many people's lives. Um, they're working hard, sweating, trying to do what's right, uh, but they're making no progress in life. They're not getting anywhere. They're staying in the, the same place, doing the same thing, uh, just running like crazy, but they aren't getting to where they ultimately need to be. They're expending the time and the energy But there's little that seems to be accomplished, and the little that's accomplished is certainly not significant. And as I thought about the illustration of the treadmill, I thought to myself, you know, that's not just the world, but a lot of believers are in that same category. Seems seems like there's a lot of Christian people who are expending tons of energy. Uh, They may be even doing what is good and what is right, but it seems like they're not getting anywhere. It seems like they're expending all this sweat equity, but... They're still at the same place they've always been. They're accomplishing little. It doesn't seem to be significant. What's the deal with all of this? And so as we begin this new year, I want to help you spring out of that. I want this year to be a year where not only you are blessed and and you receive good things and God's good to you, but I want this to be a year where you feel like you make progress in numbers of areas of your life. Certainly, for me, I, my desire is, number one, you'd make spiritual progress. And so I want to share just a little bit about that, and I really feel like the message that I have today um, will help you, if you have ears to hear, begin to move that direction. I want to talk about uh, the person of Abraham. I already mentioned the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, Genesis 15 is where we're going to read from in just a moment. Genesis 15. Abraham is the character here I want to deal with. Uh, Paul would later use Abraham as the illustration to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles of what it meant to walk by faith and what it meant uh, to see God's purposes unfold in your life. Abraham was called by Paul actually the father of the faith. Isn't that interesting that he would pull out an Old Testament character in order to underscore a New Testament principle? Abraham. In fact, Abraham, uh, believe it or not, if you've not studied his life, actually started out the same way that I just mentioned to you. He was doing a lot of things good, a lot of things right, spending energy, living obediently, but he wasn't getting anywhere. But something happened in Abraham that would spring him off that treadmill and he would ultimately become the prototype Everyone knows what a prototype is, right? He becomes the example or the first fruit 
of how life would be lived and how it's supposed to be lived uh, when God is moving as he wants to in all of our lives. He becomes the blueprint for how life should be lived. And so I've called the lesson this morning uh, this, getting out of your tent. Getting out of your tent. You didn't know you'd been camping, did you? Getting out of your tent. Let me read to you Genesis 15, beginning with verse 1. It's an interesting passage. It says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Uh, It can also be translated, your reward will be very great. Either way. How many of you know when you have the Lord, your reward's very great? He's the author of all blessings, so when you get him, you've got it all. Verse 2, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house, indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside, or the Lord brought Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And the Lord said to Abram, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord. And he, meaning the Lord, accounted it to him for righteousness. And we're going to talk for just a moment or two what I entitled, Getting Out of Your Tent. Now, I like the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is literally called the book of beginnings. The whole book of Genesis, in my estimation, is the account of God's original plan and original design for the human race. There's a lot, obviously, of of great information all throughout the scriptures. But the book book of Genesis holds a special place, at least in my eyes and in my estimation, because I believe it is in the book of Genesis that we begin to find that divine blueprint of how God's ways are to be worked out in all of our lives. And so it's filled with these wonderful stories. And if you just go through Genesis, there's story after story after story of all of these people, and they can almost seem haphazard. They can almost seem capricious and how all these stories just start being thrown at us. But, but I honestly have come to the conclusion that God puts these people, these ordinary, everyday people in these stories in the book of Genesis in order to give us really a wonderful, practical, simple blueprint of how His ways begin to unfold in all of our lives. And so when we come to Abram or Abraham, Uh, we begin to find one of these blueprints. This wasn't the first time Abraham had interacted with God. This wasn't the first time that Abraham had heard the voice of God. God had spoken to him in previous chapters, very directly, very specifically, and had given him a promise. He said that he'd be the father of many nations. He said that he would make him exceedingly great. He said that his influence... Uh, would be just astronomical. He spoke this word to Abraham, and along with this word, he spoke to him uh, plans and things to do that would take Abraham walking in obedience. And Abraham did these things. Abraham left the country of his birth. The Scripture said uh, that God said, break ties with your family, uh, begin to leave the place that you're familiar with, the country of your birth, And as you're moving along, there's going to be a place and you're going to build an altar. And he begins to do all of these things very obediently before the Lord. He steps out and does this. Along the way, he meets Melchizedek, which is a type of Christ, a high priest of the one true God. And it is there that Abraham presents his tithes even to Melchizedek. I often tell people when they look at me and say, well, tithing's under the law. Hey, they were tithing hundreds of years before the law ever showed up. So Abram brings his tithes to Melchizedek. And so think about this for just a moment. He hears the voice of God. He's obeying all that God has asked him to do. Hey, he's even tithing. He's a tither. He was doing the stuff that we would normally associate with a righteous man. 
And yet, it's interesting that the great nation part, or the promise of being this, this father of, of many, many peoples, this influential, expanding sort of influencer of a guy, has yet to come to pass. Something was still yet missing from Abraham's life. Can I just ask you a question? You ever feel like you've done your best? You've done everything it seems like you've been asked to do? And yet there's this great promise that's still hanging out there. Anybody other than me ever felt that way? Like I kind of done all that I know to do. And here, here it is. I've done everything you've asked me, Lord. I've even, I've even tithed. And here I still have this great promise that's still hanging. I mean, I mean, just conjure up that feeling again. You know, I've personally, I, I can think back to a time when, when I made certain decisions in my life and, and you're trying just to obey the will of God. You know, I responded to the, to the call of God to go into ministry. You know, I wasn't in the ministry line somewhere just to sign up for that. But, but God spoke to me about that years and years ago and I responded to what I believed he was asking me to do. There was a time that the Holy Spirit began messing with me and, and it actually entailed leaving a denomination that I had uh, been educated in and been schooled in and felt comfortable in. I put my kids and my wife, you know, in a rider truck and left Oakland, California and went clear across the nation to Spartanburg, South Carolina, just like Abram did in some ways to a land that I knew not, not knowing where I was going. And uh, there helped another man in his vision and did my best to be faithful and, and tried to help another one succeed. And, and uh, I, you know, I'm just doing everything you know to do. I'm not, I'm not waving my own banner. I'm just kind of illustrating how, how you can think through your life and your resume. And, and, and it seems like you've done everything you've known to do that was good and right. I remember some of you were there just you know, years ago, moving here to the coast and, and, and preaching God's word and standing for what was right and, and st standing for divine blueprint and, and, and finding challenges and difficulties. And then all of a sudden the day came when legacy was begun and we didn't have a paperclip to our name. You know, those weren't cool days. You're saying, Lord, I don't even have a paperclip. I don't have a stapler. I don't have a three-hole punch. I mean, you'd have given anything for just a little scanner to scan things on. Give me some shelves. Give me just something. Nothing. Lord, what's the deal here? I mean, I've tithed for 30 plus years. I've been faithful in my tithe and my offering. Now, I'm not a perfect man, nor was Abraham. Nor are you. It's not about being perfect. It's just you feel like you've done your best. Yes, you needed humbling. Yes, yes, there were things that God needed to break and do in your life. And you, you let God humble you and you let God work in you. And, 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 and all of these things you've done before the Lord and, and you've been obedient to all of it, at least in your mind you feel like you haven't. And, and then all of a sudden you become aware that there's still this promise that's still hanging out there. And there comes a moment that you can kind of get just a little mm, with God. I'm just, it's a feeling, all right? I'm just being transparent. Don't, don't look more spiritual than I at this moment. God knows the heart. And you may not manifest it on your face, but sometimes it's your heart that goes, hmm. Well, that's what's going on in Abraham's life. He's just a little twisted. He just kind of confused. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's done his best. He's, he's done everything he felt like he needed to do. And so here in Genesis 15, God speaks to Abraham again. And he begins to restate the promise. And so Abraham hears again. God say, he says, I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. In fact, he's just rekindling all that he had previously said, and Abraham, and of course the Bible's not wired for sound. I always wish there was a little sound button you could push in there just sort of to hear what's coming out. But I've got to imagine there might have been just a tad bit of uh, in Abraham when he begins to respond because he says here, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? You understand what he's saying here. He goes, you, you made one promise already and you're saying you're going to do this thing again. And it's, it's a little bit like he's saying, like, like right, Lord, you're going to make a nation out of me. 
Your promise was you're going to make a great nation out of me, and I don't even have the first citizen yet. So I'm going to revert. That's what Abraham begins to say here. He goes, I'm going to revert to another custom. He says here that there's an heir that's in his house. But what you may not know is what Abraham was referring to was that that if you didn't have any children with which you would give your inheritance to, that you would pull out the senior slave of the household and the senior slave, by way of custom, would receive the inheritance. Now, it's always fortunate, don't you think, that when we want to do things that are outside of the will of God, and we even do it perhaps with a little bit of an attitude, that God is long-suffering and that He is patient and that He just doesn't kill us. In that, aren't you glad? Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen that in all of our lives we have done things that God has spoken and we've done things with an attitude or we've been, we've, we've, we've just been slow or we've been dense or we've just, we've just not lived up to everything we knew we could have lived up to. Aren't you glad you aren't dead today? I am. God's long suffering. He's patient. He didn't zap him. But this would be Abraham's continual challenge with his promise. Abraham's, Abraham's, I don't know if you'd call it a thorn or if you just, if you would call it his trap door or it would be his continual challenge is that he always wanted to help God out. He always had a way of sort of handling God's public relations, handling what God wanted to do. If God, if you can't handle it, I'll take care of it. If, if, if you aren't going to give me a child, I'll just give it to the senior slave. And you know, later he got to the place where if you aren't going to give me a child, well, we'll just pick out a handmaiden and we'll just take this thing. It was kind of like, you know, 2000 BC in vitro fertilization. It just, you know, and that's when Ishmael came about and then a whole nother mess happened after that. Sometimes helping God out can get you in more trouble than just waiting. So God does something unusual. I mean, really unusual. He takes Abraham outside the tent. That's what it says here in verse 5. It says, then he, meaning the Lord, brought him outside. Well, what does that mean? He brought him outside. Well, as you may know, in those days, they, they, uh, they lived in, in tents, much like Bedouins did. And so he takes Abraham outside his tent. And God tells him to look to the sky. It's a night sky. And he says, count the stars. Now, now get this. Abraham understood there was light in the sky, but he had no conception of what a star is. Count the stars. The Lord says, this is what I'm going to do in you. And it was at that moment, no matter what else you may think of Abraham, it was at that moment that something took place, something changed inside of him. Nobody else perhaps could see it externally, In fact, everything that he was ever asked to do externally, he was obedient to do that. He'd been very obedient. If you just evaluate his life, you could see obedience happening. You could almost say from the record 100% of the time. But it's not just the external. Something has to happen in the internal. And something as he's looking at that night sky... As he's looking at these stars, as he hears the promise of God again in his ears, I would suppose, something happens to him, and it only happened when he got outside of his tent. Getting outside your tent. Now, what does a tent represent? Now, I just started thinking about this, put it on the screen. A tent in those days would have provided, I think, shelter. Safety, rest, comfort, shade, warmth, a place to eat. It was a place to do business, a place of support. There's nothing bad. There's nothing evil in a tent. We all need a tent. We all need a house. We all need somewhere we can get out of the rain, get out of the elements. We need someplace that's warm when it's cold and it's cool when it's hot. In fact, it's necessary. Tents aren't optional. I mean, you really you need a tent. But when we talk about tents, we also need to understand that it represents some other things. It represents everything familiar. It represents everything that's controllable, everything that's established and certainly safe. It was a boundary that was easy to grasp and it was easy to maintain. That's what a tent is. 
A tent is, is a defined piece of, of, of space which you exercise some level of control in. It, it's Abraham's tent. It functions like Abraham wants it. It, 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 it. it moves. It's ordered all to Abraham's desires because it's Abraham's tent. But God says to get out of your tent. If you want the whole promise, then you've got to get out of your tent. Now, there are many promises I believe that God has given to people in this room. I know that God's given me promises. I know that you're a promised people as well. If you don't have a promise, that's not your, God's fault. That's your fault. God's got a promise for you in some area of life. He's got something just phenomenal that he would love to do in your life. So can we just say, amen, I've got a promise, right? Amen, I've got a promise. But just like you have a promise, you also have a tent, don't you? You have a place in life that's familiar. A place in life that's easily handled. It's controllable. I'm not saying it's, it's bad or it's evil. But you know, all of us have certain routines. Maybe that's the best word for it. We have certain routines in life with certain established boundaries and borders. And it's not bad. It's not evil. You could make a case that there's discipline to it. And all of these things may have their place. But the problem is, is that we want God to break in on and be subject to our routine when he's asking us that if we want the promise, we're going to have to get out of our tents. You see, like Abraham, we think that God's always at work inside the tent. We sort of feel like he's the circus. He's the big show. That he comes into the tent and he does his little show and, and we ooh and ah and we clap and, 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 and we just believe that he's the one that's going to come in and he's going to just come into wherever we are and he's going to function under our rules and our boundaries and under our, our walls and under our order and it's always about us, 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 us and oh boy, God's going to come and he's just going to step into my situation. And we are doing all we know to do in the tent and we think that, that God will somehow blast into our tent. And inside the tent, He's going to unfold this great nation-shaking happening. This great world-changing promise. When in, when, when in reality, God is saying, I'm glad for your obedience. I'm glad for all that you have around you. In fact, God may have even supernaturally given you the tent. But you're going to have to get out of your tent in order for God to begin to work in miraculous ways in your life again. And perhaps the greatest key to all of this is just to keep this in mind. It's your tent. It's your order. It's your way. And you love the Lord, but Lord, you're going to have to work in my tent. You know what I'm finding out? I'm finding out that to follow the Lord holy, you're going to have to get out of the tent most of your life. God is going to call you out of your comfort zones. He's going to call you out of your routines. He's going to call you out of your convenience. He's going to call you out of the controllable. He's going to call you out of the boundaries that you have established in the natural in order that you can apprehend a greater promise. And the reason he does this is because if he only moved in tents, people would confuse his moving for us because it's our order in our tent. But when you're out of your tent, it ain't you anymore. The question, why? 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 Why does God do that? Why was God doing that for Abraham? Why did God take Abraham out of his tent? I started to think about that. Lord, why do you why do you take people out of their tents? Sweet Jesus, there's so much in our life that seems unstable. Sometimes out of control that the only thing we have at times is our tent. Why do you take us out of the tent? Why does God ask that of us? I, I, I put down four things here. I just want, uh, write, want you to write these down. It's just real quick. And I think it's going to help you in 2011. Why does God ask you to get out of your tent? Number one, he asks us to get out because your ceiling is too low. I won't let that sink in. Your ceiling is too low. You understand in a tent, there's a ceiling. You understand when you get out of the tent, there's no ceiling. See, the problem is, is that we want God to move in our tent, but there's a ceiling there. God says, if you'll come out of your tent, I'll take you to a place where the sky is literally the limit. See, Scripture says that our thoughts are not His thoughts. 
that God's ways are not our ways. I'm just reminding you of things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God can do exceedingly abundantly what? More than we could ask or what? So you understand that God wants to do something greater than your ceiling. And in our minds, we think smaller or lower because we want to help God out or make sure he hits the mark. We're always so concerned about God's reputation. And so whenever we start making goals or whenever we start thinking about our future, we always, we always sort of trim it a little bit because in the back of our mind, we say to ourselves, well, I could do this or I could do this. And, you know, uh, it could still happen. And, you know, God could cause old Aunt Betsy to keel over and I could get a little inheritance there. And, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, so that's I could see God doing that. And, and, and so we always want to we want to handle God in such a way that uh, somehow we'll save his reputation. That is offensive to the Lord. He wants to see incredible things happen in your life where you stand up and when you give your praise report, it's not a praise report that's just a good happening and there could have been a little coincidence associated with it. And, and again, I'm not saying God's not involved in that. I'm just simply saying, when are we going to get out of the tent and let God do something that, that the sky's the limit? Some people... They can't see beyond their next electric bill. They can't see beyond their next rent payment. If God were to pay their electric bill or if God were to help them pay their rent, they'd give God the glory and all of us would shout and I believe the Lord would be in that. But life is not just about paying electric bills and rent payments. There's more to life. There's more to you. There's more to His promise than just these things. It's time to get out of your tent. For me, I started to think about this. For me, it's getting hard, or it was getting hard, to see past a tree. My life was being consumed by a tree. Now, does God want to move the tree? Absolutely. Is the tree important to move? Yes. Is it worthy of my consideration? Of course. If it finally moves, will we give God praise? Most certainly I will. But do you understand that the tree is not the grand promise of God? It may be a grand oak, but it's not a grand promise. Well, why is that? We become myopic on these things. Why? It, it, it's because we're still in our tents. Started thinking again. I've got a lot of things on my plate because I've got pastors coming in. In less than 30 days, there's going to be a national conference that's going to happen at this church. And I'm thinking all that needs to be done, all that yet needs to be painted, all that needs to happen, all that needs to take place. All of these things are taking place. Is God in that? Yes. Is it a part of His promise to us? Of course. Is He going to move and great things are going to happen? Absolutely. But what happens is, is it becomes our tent. And that's all we can begin to see. And as much as I'm looking forward to seeing all of that take place, there is yet greater things. The sky is the limit. I remember not too many years ago, I was having a discussion with some Christians. And we were talking at that time about, you know, churches growing and, and, and people coming and these sorts of things. And this was, this was one of the statements that was made. And I kid you not, this was almost a quote. Well, you know, the church will always have limited attendance. Listen, because we're on the coast. And on one side of the city is nothing but ocean. So we won't draw anything from that side. And you know, when you're at that moment, you want to go, that is an astute observation. That <laughs> you're right, you're right. The dolphins won't come out. You're right, you're right. You know, the terrapin, sailfish, they aren't going to just suddenly walk on water, go to church. You're right. Astute observation. Isn't that interesting, though, that that would even come out of a person's mouth? But what that does is, is it demonstrates that they're in a tent. How do you know that people won't cross the ocean to come? 
wow, you, uh, you really, you really think, you know, well, unless you get out of your tent, you won't think that way. You got to get out of your tent. We've tried to encourage this in our children. You know, Clayton, when he wanted to go to Australia, we scratched our heads and we worked through it as a family. But there came a moment that you have to look at each other and say, this was one of those out of the tent moments. Go on to Australia. I don't, I don't know. I don't maybe don't get it all. I don't understand all that God's doing. But so far, it seemed to be a pretty good decision. You get out of the tent in order to see a greater promise. We're working with Tyler right now and, and we're trying to Think about how you get out of the tent and see God's promise and how God will work in all of this and where are you taking us. You know what? This room, this room is not the end all for God's promise. Now, I'm glad to be in here. It's a cold day and it's a warm room. So hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm glad for that. But this is not what defines you or me. You cannot just shoot for the possible. You've got to aim for the impossible. You've got to get out of a tent and let God one more time set your eyes on something that is so out of reach that it will take Him to bring it to pass. That's why we didn't name our church West Ashley Church. Because this is bigger than West Ashley. This is bigger than Charleston. It's bigger than South Carolina. Hey, the world, as Wesley said, is my parish. So you got to understand the reason God gets you out of your tent is because your ceiling has been too low. Right now, some of you say, if I could just if I could make twenty thousand dollars a year. Oh, oh, 20. hey, I hope, you know, in order to reach, let's say, one hundred thousand dollars a year somewhere in there, you'll probably make twenty thousand dollars a year. But can you just begin to see God resourcing you or opening a door or doing something that's so out of the ordinary, that the only way you could explain it is it's him because it's out of your tent. Are you following me? Your ceiling's too low. Number two, why does he take us out of our tent? As I mentioned, because you need to know it's beyond your ability to do it. Abraham and Sarah, which is really interesting about how God dealt with Abraham and Sarah. You know the story. Those of you that are in the second half of your life, which I have now crossed over into the second half of my life. So the story of Abraham and Sarah has become more meaningful to me. They're just a couple of old people. And God's, God's talking childbirth to a couple of old people. Now, we're, we're talking old. We're talking when they got the promise, they were probably in the 75-year-old range. How many of you know, ladies, that's, that's past those good childbearing years. That's... You ain't thinking kids at 75. And then it took somewhat around 25 years before it finally manifested. Isn't that amazing too? So, so they're kind of older. And there was nothing in the natural that said, I can do this on my own. You know, what's interesting is when God took Abraham out of the tent and he pointed to the stars and he told Abraham, he said, count the stars. And then this is what he said, if you are able. I like that phrase there, if you are able. Because, can I just suggest this, that the next clear night we have here, and maybe you're in a dark place where you can see the night sky, you go for it. You just try counting the stars. You aren't able. Nobody's able to do that. Abraham wasn't able. That's why God said, count the stars if you are able. He was reminding him that you ain't able. That's the point. We can't do this on our own. We want God to move. But God doesn't move most of the time in the tent. It's only when you get out of the tent. And you've got to move beyond your fears and your doubts and your rationalizations. There are times God's going to let you step out and He's going to speak to you and say something to you that is so far beyond your ability to do it. You'll say to yourself, ain't no way, ain't no how, it couldn't be me. And God says, you're right so far. So far, you got it. But with me, the Lord, all things are See, possible. Gideon was the same way. Gideon, when the angel spoke to him, he said, who am I? I am the least in my house. And the angel said, I know. That's why I showed up here. Because when we begin to work through you, there ain't no way anybody's going to say that was you. That's, that's when promise comes. If you've got a promise, 
Your promise came because in and of yourself, you're not sharp enough. You're not bright enough. I'm, I'm not trying to demean you. I'm just trying to be truthful. You do not have what it takes to make it come to pass. But if you're willing to come out of your tent and let God speak to you and point you to something greater, that's the moment God can begin to bring his promise to you. And for some of you, you've been obedient. You've done everything you've known to do that was good and right and righteous. You've tried your best to live as you should live. And you're wondering, why isn't it happening? And I'm telling you, for all of us, God's saying, get out of your tent. Get out of your tent. It's beyond your ability to do it. Number three, the reason God takes us out of our tent is because we've got to activate our imaginations. The Lord said, look at the stars. Abraham, look at the stars up there. And he said, as he's looking at the stars, literally, he's saying, imagine your descendants. Imagine your descendants. And Abraham's standing out on the plains of Ur and he's looking into that clear night sky and there's no city lights. There's nothing like that in those days. He can, he can see a perfect from horizon to horizon. He sees these, these stars. Innumerable. God says, these are your descendants. What did God do? He's soliciting his imagination at that moment. I've, I've taught on the imagination before, and I'm not going to go back into it, but, but we've lost our ability to imagine anymore. We've lost our ability to begin to see. And not only that, I started to think about Abraham standing there and seeing that. Do you realize that from that time forward, every time Abraham would go outside of his tent from that time forward into a clear night and he would see those stars, he would be reminded constantly of what God had said. I started to think about that. I started to think about, you know, we need to be reminded constantly. Our imaginations need to be stirred again. We need to be rekindled to the greatness of God. We, 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 need, to be, we need to be just fanned into flame our passion that God is able to do that exceeding abundant thing. We need to know that there's nothing impossible for God, that He can move on people's hearts. And, and, and while we give Him praise and we're, we're faithful to do that, I believe that there's some great things that yet await you and await me. And all that it hinges on is us getting outside of the tent. And one more time, having something not so much externally in our obedience, but internally in our faith to believe that God can because God has said it. I'll, I'll never forget, I've told this story before, that one time I was speaking at a church and, and, and you know, it was a great service. It was done. I was visiting with the pastor outside in the parking lot. And, uh, you know, just bear with me. Some of you have heard my story so many times. You could, you could tell my stories. And, and all I have to do at this point is to counsel you to still laugh at the appropriate moments, all right? But, but I'll never forget, he, he, he walked me out to the vehicle, and this is what he said to me. He said, Kevin, uh, he said some affirming words, uh, which, are, you know, which are always nice to hear. He said, man, you handle the word well, you know. You, you, you're always able to bring people to a place to make decisions. I mean, he did some affirming things, but then he said this. He said, listen, dude, which is the new way. <laughs> listen, dude. He said, man, you, you're going to have to trim the way you, you teach. You're going to have to trim the way you preach. You're going to have to dial down the intensity just a little bit. And he looked at me and he said, because you know what? I'm just telling you the age we live in, the culture we live in, you know, just the way it is these days. Pe people just cannot, they cannot lock into that kind of intensity and that, that type of challenge and that type of commitment call. And you're going to have to dial it back because, dude, you'll never grow. You will never grow a large or influential or great church if you keep doing things like that. And, and I guess he felt like he was speaking into my life. I, I hadn't invited him to do that. It wasn't like he was an overseer. But, you know, people talk to you. You try to, try to hear God's voice even in these unusual parking lot moments. And I got back into uh, my vehicle and I was heading home. And... Um, I don't know. I, I was working through if what I was feeling was conviction or irritation. And as I was working through all of these sorts of things, and you know, you always want to evaluate yourself and you don't, you know, I'm not into alienating people. It's not like, you know, I've got the, you know, the ministry of alienation, you know, everyone else has the ministry of reconciliation. I have the ministry of alienation. Hallelujah. Um, and, and I was working through all of these things. It was like the spirit of the Lord just spoke to me at that particular moment. And I'll never forget these words came into my spirit. Just because you've never seen it in the natural doesn't mean it can't happen. 
There was a time they said that you could never get a crowd of Christians or people into stadiums to hear the gospel. There, were, there, there was a time that was said. Billy Graham said as his vision, he wanted to bring people into baseball, football, athletic stadiums in order to preach the gospel. And up to the 1940s and 50s, that, that had never been seen. Yes, you could get a little bit of a crowd under a tent on a street corner somewhere. Uh, you could get some crowds in some venues, but it had never been done in baseball stadiums. And there were people who said, it can't happen. How many of you know Billy Graham did it? People ridiculed the Wright brothers. You may have heard this story that their dad, Orville and Wilbur Wright's dad, was actually a Methodist bishop who at a district assembly of the Methodist church stood up and one of the quotes that came out of their dad's mouth as he was making some illustration to something else said these words. If man was meant to fly, he would have been born with His very children were the ones that invented flying. Is that not paradoxical? Just because you've never seen it doesn't mean it can't happen. They said for years, man could not run a mile under four minutes. Now, I said this one other time, and somebody, some of you run it. Who was the first four-minute mile? Someone. Who? Bannister? Roger Bannister? Roger Bannister, how many of you know? He didn't hear that. And he ran under four minutes for the first time running a, a, a 359, I guess, mile. What's interesting is, is that once one man breaks what everyone says can't be done, now you can't get into an Olympic race. Unless you run under a four-minute mile. Isn't that interesting? What some people said was biologically impossible that man does not have the frame or the body to be able to do things like this. As soon as one person does it, everybody does it. They said we'd never climb to the top of Mount Everest. Now you can actually go get some excursion. You yourself can go get a holiday tour going to the top of Mount Everest. When there was the day that people said nobody could get to the top of Everest. How do these things happen? Because somebody has solicited their imagination to a place that no one else has gone and they've seen it. And because they have seen it, they can hit it. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe that on the earth, in one place, under one church, there can be thousands of passionate disciples who are all out for Jesus Christ. They're not cutting corners. They're not looking for the lowest common denominator. They're wanting to live all out for Him. And just because you don't see it now doesn't mean we won't see it ten years from now. It, 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 doesn't, matter what people, it doesn't matter what people think. It's what you see. Maybe your, your parents or your friends or somebody has looked at you and you've, you've, you've shared with them a dream that you had and they looked at you and said, you'll never do it. It'll never happen for you. We just don't have the money. It, it's just not available. It's just not this. It's just not that. Do you understand? It doesn't matter what they say. It, it only matters what you see. And if you can see it, you can seize it. We'd still be hitting two stones together for heat. If we listened to all the guys that were grunting around us. We all live with air conditioning and heating and you get in your cars and you've got cable TV, satellite TV, cable like radio, serious radio. Think of all the things. Do you understand? We, we pick up our phones now and play on the Internet. Do you understand right now? The technology that's been unleashed to us, that in, in a moment of time we can contact people all the way on the other side of the world and have real-time conversation with them, and it's just, it comes that quick. And all of this happened, and do you understand that all through the years, people were saying, you can't do that. But somebody said, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. Because your imagination has to be activated. And then finally, I believe he gets us out of the tent because you must enter into bold faith. Abraham's faith was accounted, it says in verse 6, to him for righteousness. 
on the screen, I just put what the word accounted mean. It means that God added everything up in his life and what his belief meant to him, including his prior obedience. And God said yes. God said yes. It's going to take bold faith for 2011. Bold faith. Come on now, say that. Say that with me. Say bold faith. One more time. Bold faith. I know you've walked in faith, but it's going to take some bold faith. I don't know what that will mean, but you're going to have to get before the Lord. Just get yourself ready. Because if you want to see a promise come to pass, I'm telling you, God's going to say, come out of your tent. Come out of your tent. God is going to evaluate what you say you believe and what you put on the line as a result of that faith. See, true faith, I honestly believe this. I believe you can love God in the tent, but I believe true faith happens when you get out of the tent. Anytime God has moved incredibly in my life, I've always been outside the tent. Anytime I've seen miracles or, or what we would say God happenings or divine moments, it's always, always when I've been outside of the tent. And it's interesting, there was one thing God did after all of this was said, and, and I don't have much time to elaborate on it. Maybe I got just a few seconds here. But just after he said all these things in Genesis chapter 15, these first six verses, there was something that God did. He begins to look at Abraham and he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And in verse 8, Abraham says, how shall I know that I will inherit all this? How do I know? How come this time is different than all the other times? I mean, I heard what you said three, four chapters ago, God. But now how am I to know, now that you say it, that all of this is real, it's meaningful, and I can take it to the bank? How do I know this? And what God did was he entered into the first covenant ceremony. And without a lot of elaboration, he just commanded Abraham to go get all these different animals. And he cut these animals in half. And he laid them out in such a way that in just a moment he would he would walk through. He would walk through all of these slain carcasses in a figure eight pattern, actually. There was blood all over the place. If you can imagine blood and mess. And then God shows up. And God shows up in a flaming torch in a smoldering oven, it says. There was fire and there was smoke. And God shows up. And as Abraham has walked through this bloody mess, then these smoking pots and this fiery torch begins to move through all these cut animals as well. And I want us just to stop for just a moment and just get this picture because there Abraham has cried out and says, okay, God, I hear what you're saying. I'm outside the tent. How do I know that you're going to do this? God shows up, cuts, cuts these animals. There's, it's a bloody mess, smoke, fire, I mean, you know, sometimes you can go to a barbecue restaurant and when you come out, you know, you smell like you smell like the dinner you just ate. Can you imagine all these bloody animals, smoke and fire? God cuts a covenant that that was a covenant ceremony and God literally cuts a covenant with Abraham. And the Lord says, because I have done this, it becomes the oath or it becomes the seal that what I have spoken will come to pass. And think about it for just a moment. Abraham, and there's no Kodak moment there. I mean, there's nothing he can take a picture of. There's nothing he, you know, he can't pull a cell phone out and go, you know, all he's got is his memory. But God does this ceremony, blood, animals, carcasses, fire, smoke. It would be indelibly etched in the memory of Abraham. Could you agree with me on that? If, if God were to do that supernaturally, I, don't you think that that would probably be impressed in your psyche for some time? And the Lord says, because I have done this, I'm swearing, I'm oathing that I shall bring to pass that which I have spoken. Now, I tell you this story to leave you with this. 2 Corinthians one twenty, guys, post it. For all the promises of God in Him. Now, you know who that is? That's Jesus. All the promises of God are yes and in Him, amen, or so be it. To the glory of God through us. Now, He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Now, I want to tell you why that passage there is so important. Is because right now, everyone in this room is saying to themselves, well, God never showed up for me in my backyard. 
And he never spoke to me about cutting up animals. You know, of course, the SPCA would be, you know, after us. But God's never done that. God's never done something like that. He's never showed up in a flaming torch or smoldering oven. So how do I know? How do I know? How do I know that God wants to do these things for me? How do I know that the promise that I feel like he's given me will come to pass? And what that verse says is this, is that there was another animal that was cut. He was called the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The perfect lamb, one of a kind, once and for all. He shed his blood. And God, through that covenant, a better covenant, the scripture says. He said the old covenant wasn't even good enough. But he said this covenant is an enduring covenant. It's the best one available. It will last forever. And he said because of this covenant, God said, post it again, guys. Post it again. He says that all the promises I have made in him or in that moment, I'm swearing upon myself, I'm oathing upon myself that the promises I give, I'm not taking back. I will bring them to pass. But here's, but here's the new key. The key isn't that you just tip your hat to it. The, the key is, is that you literally become in Him. You've got to step into in Him. Jesus, Jesus, He comes in and you go in. And you have a union that once you become His, those promises are yes and amen because what He did on this cross is now indelibly etched in history's mind. And for now and all of eternity, what God says, if he said it, he will bring it to pass. See, the key isn't that somehow God lacks. The key is our sense of revelation lacks. It's not that God won't heal a body. It's usually we don't have a revelation of healing. It's not that God won't resource our lack. It's usually we're just so inundated with the spirit and the mentality of poverty. We can't see his ability to release good things. We are so convinced out of our disappointments that God can't break through doors that we forget that he's the God that says, I will open doors that no man can shut and I will close doors that no man can open. And if we'll get that revelation, your life will be forever changed. And 2011 can be the year you've been waiting for all your life. But listen to me, listen to me. You can have done everything right you can be doing everything you know to do. But here's the last question. Have you gotten out of your tent? Are you ready to step out of your tent? Are you ready to go out of the boundary, whatever it may be, in whatever area of life? And are you ready to step out there and begin to see what God can really do when he's unleashed in your life to that degree? Will you stand with me?